you just love this podcast so much and wish you could find a way to monetarily support us? Well, guess what? Much like NPR, we thrive on support from viewers like you. So if you love this podcast and you want to become a contributor, all you have to do is go to anchor.fm. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Click the support button and choose the amount that you want to contribute each month to our podcast. This helps keep our podcast going and it keeps the phenomenal content that you have come to know and love flowing. So yeah, what are you waiting for? Sign up today. As always, thank you so much for being a listener. We appreciate you. We see you. And we hope you enjoy the show. Spoiler alert. If you do not want this film ruined, do not proceed. There's spoilers galore. You have been warned. Welcome to Talk Classic to Me, the classic film podcast and movie club where I, Sarah Greenfield, your host and classic film enthusiast, bring in my entertaining friends to talk about classic movies or any other old-fashioned form of media that strikes my fancy. On today's show, we are talking about the film Marty from 1955 with my wonderful guest, Nick Lang. Welcome to Talk Classic to Me. I am your host, Sarah Greenfield, and my guest this week is the wonderful Nick Lang. Hi, Nick. I'm back. Here I am. And um, this week we watched the film Marty from 1955. Uh, Nick, what did you think? You know, I really liked it. I texted you while I was watching (laughs) it. Um, I was sad at first, and then, you know, the movie makes you feel happy. This one struck a chord. Struck a chord with me. I liked it very much. I don't think I'd ever heard of this movie ever well so this movie um marty from 1955 starring ernest borgnine was kind of like the little movie that could it was this like under the radar like low budget movie that wasn't supposed to go anywhere or do anything and then it ends up making a ton of money and winning the oscar for best picture the year it comes out wow the reason i picked this movie because i when we first when i first told you about this idea for this podcast there were two movies i told you for sure that i was going to watch with you one of them was the thin man which we've already watched and the second one was marty it was this film okay and i saw this film for the first time at like the Turner Classic Movies Festival that they have. And I just remember being so blindsided by it, like just completely moved by this film. And I didn't expect that at all. You know, the way they describe it is so different from the experience of watching it. And it's such a simple, simple premise and film and so beautifully done. But just like, it's all about like the emotions. You you really feel it. And um, when you were texting me yesterday, I didn't see them till a while later, but I loved seeing the order of them of like, why am I watching this? This is sad, Sarah. (laughs) Wait, never mind. (laughs) Sarah, I'm 20 minutes in and it's sad. And then a minute later, I said, all right, they're dancing. It's looking up. So yes, let's, let's dive into the plot synopsis of this movie, Marty. So Marty is about this guy, Ernest Borgnine's character, who is like a 34-year-old butcher who lives in like a very Italian part of the Bronx and everybody is on his ass about him getting married. Like everybody's like, when are you going to get married, Marty? Shame. That was, I'm sorry, that was not Italian. That was Jewish. Wow. I just had like Jewish relatives of mine saying that to me and it came out of my mouth that That way. That was like something (laughs) like some Freudian kind of thing. Yeah, that was like, Sarah, when are you going to get married? 
Yeah, that's so that just came out for us because <laughs> we're both, you know, around that age. And and so I think we both very much relate to somebody saying, when are you going to get married? Yes. And like, shame, shame on, on you. you for not shame getting married. You. That's what they say over and over. He has all these female customers that come in because it's the 50s and like all these wives are cooking dinner for their husbands and families and stuff. And apparently they love it. Oh my God, we're going to get into that because that According to me. this movie, they love doing That's it. all they want to do. Why take that away from them? Anyway, everybody's saying to Marty, you got to get married. Shame on you for not being married. And Marty is like a normal average looking kind of guy. Like he's not your typical movie star that we're used to seeing. He's like the regular Joe on the street. Because I don't think he's fat, but they keep calling him fat. And I'm like, he's yeah. normal. He's yeah. like just... A normal schlub kind of guy. Yeah, the movie does talk a lot about how ugly he is, but it's Hollywood. Nobody's really that ugly. And you look at the rest of the cast and you go, there are uglier people than him walking around. You know? But they've decided that Marty is ugly. Everybody has kind of put this label on him. It's important for the story. Yes. That, that he's ugly and he's old. He's too yeah, old. He's, he's 34. 34. Ancient. People are hounding on Marty, but we also know that Marty really does. He wants to be with someone and it's not just like shallow, you know, like a lot of his friends are kind of these toxic masculine figures who are really shallow. He wants like a real relationship and to like really fall in love. Like that's what he craves and that's what his parents had and that's what he wants. And so um, after kind of hounding from his mom, he decides, okay, fine, like, I wasn't going to go out tonight because I'm so sick of being rejected. Like, every single weekend of my life is rejection. Oh, it's sad when he does it. When he says it, he, and he goes, I'm going to get an evening of heartache, ma. It's, oh, it's sad. It's so yeah, sad. That was a good Ernest Borgman. There's a scene before he talks to his mother. His friend at the restaurant, who is named Angie, who is so annoying, and who looked just like Rune from the Gilmore Girls. Were you getting that? All I could see... When I looked at his face, was Rune. I think I missed that one. Listen, I watched Gilmore Girls. I watched a lot of it. I didn't watch all of it. So that character, whoever you're talking about, was not in my mind as it's I was watching It's a season this one. one and season two. And Lorelai oh. was set up on a bad date with him. He's Jackson's cousin. And then he appears again in season two at the Bracebridge dinner. This is so embarrassing, but it's a fact. When they do the Bracebridge dinner and they're all dressed up fancy, Rune is one of the people there. He's just kind of obnoxious and looks exactly like Angie. But I've digressed from the plot synopsis. This episode, we're talking about the Gilmore Girls. <laughs> we tricked you. It's not Marty. <laughs> Surprise. It's the spinoff podcast. Talk Gilmore to me. But only seasons one through five. That's where I stop. The plot synopsis. Where were we? Oh, so there's this scene where uh, Marty's friend is kind of encouraging him to go out. And that's how we find out where Marty's like, dude, I'm sick of rejection. We go out every week. It's embarrassing. It hurts. I don't want to do it. And his friend's like, remember those two girls we took out a month ago? I think that one was into you. You should call them up and see if they'll go out with us tonight. So Marty like closes all the little doors around the room that the phone is in. And it's very private. And he goes to make a call. And we watch him just get completely rejected. And he asks her like, well, what are you doing next weekend? What are you doing the weekend after that? And she says no each time. We don't hear it, but we see it in his face, just like the pain of rejection. Oh, it's so heartbreaking. And then his mom, that's the scene with his mom where she gets on him and she's like, why didn't you go out? Why didn't you go out? Why didn't you get married? I should also mention his mom is actually really sweet. We're making her sound kind of obnoxious, but she's a total sweetheart and we yes. love her. She is a sweetheart, but she also has some flaws. 
that we'll get into later. We'll get into yeah. her flaws. Um, but at first, you know, we're really on her side at the beginning. We really like his mom. She's not, she's not rude like the other ladies that he talked to earlier. Um, so he decides, fine, like, I'll go out. I'll go to this dance that they have every week at the Stardust Ballroom. And, you know, it's I'm probably going to be heartbroken, but, like, fine, I'll do it. So him and Angie go to this dance. Fun fact, Jerry Orbach, the great Broadway and film star, is one of the uncredited extras in that scene. Wow. I want to go rewatch it and see if I can spot him. But Marty's at this dance, and this woman, Clara, who is lovely, also comes to the dance this fine evening. And she's perfectly normal looking, but they have told us that she is ugly. <laughs> yeah, the movie keeps on going, she's a dog. She's She looks like she's 50. She's old and ugly and all this stuff. They tell us this because they're like, they give her a slightly unflattering haircut. They give her a really buttoned up dress all the way like to her neck. And then they don't put makeup on her and they're like, she's so ugly. And I'm like, or she's lovely and <laughs> beautiful. She's a beautiful woman. And and her outfit, you know, maybe they were trying to make it look frumpy or something. But, but it is so chic now, like hipster chic. And her little haircut with her little bangs up on the top of her head. And But the movie keeps on talking about how ugly she is. She looks like how we all wish we looked because she's still, you know, like a movie star. So she shows up with this guy who's like just a shallow jerk. He almost immediately dumps her. And before he does, he goes up to Marty and he's like, look, I got paired with a dog, but I want to go date that hot girl over here. I'll pay you five bucks to take this girl out. And Marty's like, um, no, absolutely not. That's rude and awful. No. So Marty watches this guy go to another guy to pull this stunt. He watches both of them go over to Clara and Clara's like, no, I don't really want to see either of you. He follows Clara as she she gets up, she runs outside, and she starts crying. Because it's just like, she is facing this horrible rejection too. So he goes out to comfort her, and they start talking. And it turns out, they really like each other. And they get to know each other in this really sweet, beautiful way. And Marty comes out of his shell. Like, up till this point, he's kind of been quiet, hasn't talked too much. People have kind of taken him for granted in his life. You can see it. And now he's with this girl and he can't stop talking and he's so excited. And it's very sweet. You see him just like blossom and open up. And then you see her like really starting to care for him. I wish we had more of her. Like apparently this was an upgrade from the original. Like this was originally a, a made for TV like play, a teleplay. Okay. And apparently they they amped up her part in this movie. So I'm like, really? oh, this is amped up. I wonder what it was before. But yeah, they start to actually fall for each other. They have this really beautiful night together that's just like getting to know each other, really sweet. They can kind of see a future with each other and are looking forward to another date with each other. We're going to get into the awkward kiss moment. I'll breeze over for now, but we'll get back to it. So what ends up happening is after he takes Clara home, he's like on cloud nine, super happy. The next day... The people in his family and his best friend all kind of had outside things affect them and affect their behavior towards him. Uh, so the mom's sister is going to come live with them because there's a side story of like the mom's sister was living with her son, who's like Marty's cousin, and it wasn't working out. And she is getting kicked out of their house because she's too in the way. And so Marty's mom now has this fear of like, oh, my God, I'm going to get kicked out of my house and I'm not going to have a house and, you know, I'm going to be alone and 
they're all their fears are driven kind of by loneliness. And his best friend didn't like being without Marty and didn't want to be the last single guy. So he's kind of got a chip on his shoulder. And same with the cousin. The cousin's rude too. So they're all upset that day. And all of this newfound joy that Marty has found, they all just crush. And his whole plan with Clara was that he was going to call her at a certain time to take her out to the movies. And so the more he's talking to this people, the more we watch his dreams kind of die. And then we're worried, oh, my God, he's not going to call her and he's going to live this miserable life alone, (laughs) caring about what all of these people think more than what he actually wants. But then at the very end, he has an epiphany and he's like, wait. What am I doing here? I don't want to be lonely and miserable like you guys. I got a future. I, I'm going to call this girl up and I'm going to like, if she wants to marry me, we're going to get married someday. <laughs> like, And he does. The last line of the film is like, hello, Clara. And that's that's it. He calls her up. We know he's going to have a good future. Nick, one of the things you texted me was you wished that they had had a scene together at the end. As I was watching the movie, yeah, I, I again, I was texting Sarah throughout the movie. And then after <laughs> the movie, I said, that was great. You know, would have loved to see them together one last time. But you know what? That's OK. I think, honestly, that the movie is better because it doesn't have that. I think that would have, you know taking it over the top into like, you know, more of like a Hollywood corny kind of thing. Like the movie is more classy for not having that to like, you know, give me exactly what I wanted, but I wanted (laughs) because the last time you see Clara in the movie is before that when she's sitting in her house in between her two parents and Marty hasn't called her and she's sitting there just silently weeping as they're watching TV. And it's so sad. The way they do that shot is so cool because we've been away from Clara for a while and he hasn't called her yet. And we see the shot, first of all, far away. So you see her sitting on the couch with her hands on her lap, just like she described how she had sat at the Stardust Ballroom when she said how miserable one night was when all she did was sit in the corner with her hands on her lap and no one talked to her. So we see that from afar. And we're like, oh, oh, Clara. And then the camera starts to zoom in and zoom in and zoom in. And the closer it gets, we see like silent tears streaming down her face and her parents don't notice it. And we just feel her pain and like how that must feel to have met someone and think that they're different and that they see you and that they like you and that even they rejected you. Oh, she is saying that was my that was my one chance. Everyone's talking about how old they are, like it's too late for them. And it's really sad watching it where both of them have resigned themselves to the idea that they will be alone forever. And then to see them get excited about this possible connection. It's very sweet. Well, being alone forever, I want to put this out there, is not a sad thing if that's what you want. But it's like these two people don't want that. They both want families and want to be loved. And I do also love that what this movie does too is it doesn't just show them falling in love. It shows them kind of uplifting and believing each other and what that can do for people instead of like the toxicity of tearing people down. So when they start to fall in love with each other, Marty's telling her about his business and he's telling her like, well, first of all, we learn that he has basically given up so much for his family. He was like the sacrificial lamb for his family. And now he's like the scapegoat of his family. You know, like he supported them when they needed support. He became a butcher, even though he didn't want to, even though he wanted to go to college. His family was like, your dad died. You're in charge now. You got to You got to be in charge. And so he makes money for his family. And then all the 
family members get married and all of a sudden he's like, well, what did I do all that for? Yeah, he's like George Bailey. If George Bailey didn't have the most wonderful wife and if he uh, didn't complain so much, <laughs> George Bailey has it so good compared to this guy and George Bailey whines the whole movie. But Marty is so sweet too. You see what a sweetheart he is. And he takes everybody so seriously. Like people are such dicks and lying left and right. And Marty is so authentic. He just takes everything in. He's a passionate fellow and that gets him into some awkward situations. Which again, we'll get to those two. But the point that I wanted to make about what I was excited for with them was they both got excited about like their futures and businesses. So like Marty's a butcher and he's like, look, I, I'm thinking about being more than a butcher. The guy I work for is selling this shop and like I'm worried about the future like I'm worried that supermarkets are going to take over but like I could make my own supermarket with other vendors and like no one else can do what I do and she believes in him she's like look I'm a teacher I teach chemistry I went to college by the way I teach chemistry but she's like look I see this in my students and I can tell the difference in students that have this what does she call it it's like a hunger or like a oh I wrote she magnifies and mirrors what he really wants back to him you know, so he's like sharing with her and she's like, yeah, this is possible. You're That doesn't sound crazy at all to me. Oh, she says, you're an intelligent, decent, sensitive man. I have a good feeling about you. Go ahead and buy the butcher shop. You're a good butcher. She believes in him. Oh, he has warmth and capability like her students. That's the feeling she was saying she gets. So she's showing that to him and he reflects that back to her. He he tells her too what he valued in his parents' relationship, which he's, he was like, I had a dad who really always tried to understand my mom. So later on when she's like, I got this job offer. I don't know if I should take it or not. He's like, you could, t you could do this if you wanted to. I don't think she wants to. I think she wants to get married. And I think taking that job for her would mean I'm not going to get married. But In this movie, the best thing is to get married, cook and clean. It's, it's great. So as Nick was saying, it is so completely frustrating to watch this movie as a today human woman <laughs> and to hear that your only job in life can and should be to be a mother and a housekeeper for your family. That is all the women in this film want to do. She just wants to clean. She has a house she can't clean. And I'm like, that sounds great. <laughs> What's the problem? But they're basically irrelevant at 56. She says she's 56. I was shocked at that moment because, the, yes, there are these... There's Marty's mother and uh, her sister. And they look like like the stereotypical old woman with like the white hair. And, and then the one woman says, I'm 56 years old. And you go like, what? That's not that old. That's not that old well, I actually at all. I don't think they look that old. I think once she says that, you look at her with a new eye. Yes. And you're like, oh my God, wait, your hair wasn't white. We like assumed things about you because based on what we know, but like now I am seeing you as 56. Whoa. I like, it really bothered me that like, that was how your life had to be as a woman in that time. Like yeah. the fact that they did not have any sort of lives beyond their children, nor could they picture them. So Clara uh, comes to Marty's house for like a couple minutes 
and she ends up meeting his mom there. And the mom has just had this terrible experience with her sister of like her sister's being kicked out of the other house and her sister's telling her all these things like, watch, it's going to happen to you and it's going to be terrible. And so Clara says the really unfortunate thing of like, well, yeah, I mean, I get it from the young mother's perspective. Like they might not want someone older around. So obviously Marty's mom immediately like hates her. because She's like, oh, wait, if you date my son, I'm losing my house. Clara, she has this job opportunity that she talks about, but it seems like she's hesitant to do it because she doesn't want to leave her family because she goes like, my family needs me. I help them and all this stuff. And then Marty says, no, I think that you need them because it's scary to go out on your own. But I think that they'll be fine and you should do it. And like, and she's worried about like this commute that she has to make and everything. And he goes like, it'll be fine. People will come see you. I'll come see you. And he's very sweet about it. And then, you know, she does go in and talks to Marty's mom and she, she went to college and everything and she has a career and she starts talking to marty's mom and marty's mom is going like my sister she her her son doesn't want her anymore and and she just wants to help out at the house and they're yelling at her and like what does she do she doesn't have kids to take care of she doesn't have any place to clean or anyone to cook for or anything like that and it was very it's super sad because you go like this is what this woman's life was and she's going like my life is over i have no meaning anymore and she's like it's gonna happen to you too my sister marty's mother and then um marty's mother is talking to clara going like what should she do and then clara goes like well i don't think she should be so dependent on her children for a purpose in life and she goes like i think that you know women should be able to do things other than just cook and clean you know it was very interesting seeing like the generational gap because marty is in full support of clara but the two older women are going like college girls uh-uh they're one step from the street she's feeling threatened and she's going like this is not the way that it was so it's a very interesting film seeing the difference of opinions in these generations and the movie is you know a lot about getting older and seeing that things inevitably end and you know this time where these two women, both of them are losing their sons in a way. Yeah. It's just terrible timing. As soon as he brings a, a lady home for the first time in his whole life, then she goes like, uh-oh, I'm going to lose him. And yeah. everybody who took Marty for granted the whole movie yeah. realizes that now they're not going to have him around anymore to do what he did. And then they all start trashing his life and they're all very selfish. And yeah. the mother and his friend both end the movie where they don't really reconcile. It's like, it doesn't end up where the mother goes like, you know what, I'm sorry for saying that yeah. I didn't like that girl. The mother just is going to be upset about it. I guess maybe she'll find solace in the fact that she lives with her sister, but they kind of leave it open-ended of if they're going to sell that house or not so there is a melancholy to everything in the movie 
even when Marty gets together at the end, you go, him being happy and leaving home means sadness for his mother that I actually do like that in the end of the movie, they don't show Marty and Clara together again because the movie doesn't tie up in the neatest little bow. And I don't think that the movie wants to tie up in the neatest little bow. It's a great bittersweet melancholy film. I think the ending is just right for this movie. But um, something that was really striking me this time too was it isn't even so much that she's so worried. She is worried about losing Marty, but she feels like she's going to lose her autonomy. Like right now she has a home that is hers. And it sounds like in this time when your kid gets married, they make the choice to sell your family home and you end up sleeping on a couch. You don't even have a bed that's your own. Like her sister was sleeping yeah. on the couch in an apartment. She doesn't have her own room. She doesn't have her own space. She She's yeah. like a non-entity. So I think it's like the becoming quote unquote invisible, becoming a non-entity. I was planning futures for them. I was like, okay, so this is how it should work. What's going to happen is you're going to watch those grandkids in the afternoon from this time to this time, or you're going to watch them during this day. Everyone's going to come over for a family dinner on this night. Like I was trying to plan for her so that she would feel less lonely, but she wasn't doing that for herself. It was like, well, this is how things are. My hope is that Marty doesn't sell that house and that she and her sister can live in that house together and find ways to include the family in it. And then Marty can go out and be separate, but you never know. They never resolve the mom and Marty situation. But what I noticed this time is that when he leaves the house for the last time and he was pacing and upset and his mom had seen him earlier singing and being happy and now sees him pacing and upset, she has a look on her face of sadness of like, oh, I might have caused this. I don't feel good about this. So I was like, okay, at least they're reconciling it a little because what I like about this movie too is, well, first of all, like the theme of this movie is loneliness and showing loneliness in all its different shades. And sometimes loneliness gets fixed and healed, like in Marty's case, it's going to, and other times it doesn't, like in the mother's case. But it shows all these different variations of loneliness and it constantly explains why the people in this film feel the way they do. You know, we see why Angie gets upset with Marty. We're not on his side, but we see it. We see why Marty's cousin loses his temper at Marty and makes Marty doubt himself. Like we see all the impetus leading up to what happens. So it feels very real and it kind of takes away like a nefarious or negative aspect to it. It makes it feel really realistic and really human because we've all been on both sides of that coin. We've all been Marty and we've all been people that have like maybe dumped on someone else when we're in a bad mood or said something we didn't mean or didn't want to say so i like i like all of that stuff i love it yeah and i the end when marty's speaking is his little speech that he gives at the end it's so it was so great how it was worded everybody's sitting around going like what do you want to do i don't know what do you want to do and he's going like what do we want to do what what i'm crazy and he goes like i had a great time last night i want to have a great time tonight and if i have enough great times with this woman, I'm going to beg her to marry me. And it was such a, a an amazing way to put it, you know, because it doesn't even end with like, he's gonna marry her. He goes yeah. like, if I have enough great times with this woman, then I'm gonna beg her to marry me. So it's kind of like, again, leaving it, you don't know if things are gonna work out, but at least he has hope for the first yeah. time in his life. And I think it's really important to add that the very last thing he says to Angie is, if you don't like her, that's too bad. This is the first time that Marty has stood up for himself and what he wants. People have kind of dumped on him all movie, expected him to be flexible all movie and to bend to what they want to do. And this is the first time Marty's like, no, 
I'm going to do what I want to do. And if you don't like it, don't be my friend. And then he yeah. and then they have the funny gag where at the end he goes, look at you, Angie, you're 33 and you're not married. Shame on you. That's you hate cute. it when other people say it earlier. But now you're like, yeah, you've earned that, Marty. You can yeah. totally say that to him right there. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you know that Clara does pick up the phone because at first he says hello. And then there's like a pause where he's talking to Angie. And then he's like, oh, Clara. So like we know he is talking to her. So we don't know how it's going to go. We assume probably well. But yeah, I think it's that Marty is like, I'm going to be my own person now. This movie has, we were talking about what makes it so special and it's the moments of emotion, the feelings that we feel with him, the rejection, the way Ernest Borgnine does such a good job of when they do the close-ups of him and his eyes are closed and it looks like he's tasting something just like rotten and sour and he's so upset. You can feel all of his feelings with him. I think this movie does a really great job of showcasing the actor's work and like them feeling the feelings. Fantastic performances. And what I mentioned for me, that was probably the main theme was loneliness and how different people handle it and all its different forms. The most, most selfish loneliness was Angie's loneliness, the friend of Marty, when he's like, I don't want to be the last one to be alone. Marty should be because Marty's not as hot as I am is kind of, you can tell what Angie's thinking the whole time. So there's Angie's loneliness, the mother's loneliness. And then they even show kind of like loneliness in a marriage, loneliness not connecting. They show loneliness with the friends. And it also bleeds into, this is the other topic I wanted to talk about. Toxic masculinity was a huge thing in this movie. One of the big things was like being your authentic self versus being like a shallow version of yourself. And to me, that's basically what a lot of toxic masculinity is, like putting yourself in this harmful box that harms not only you, but like the whole world around you. (laughs) So like the people that Marty hangs out with only value girls for their looks even that moment of like when the one friend um, who's taking out those girls who I think were nurses, it sounds kind of like they want to rape them. That's what it sounded like to me, that he was going to get these girls drunk and like fool around with them in some way. And he's like, Marty, you want to get in on this? It's a sure thing. And Marty's like, um, no, thanks. I'm, that yeah. was definitely a- disgusting. Yeah. And so, but that's all around him. Just like so much shallowness all around him. It's all about like, how woman looks and Marty has that great line about like how if we're going to be married, you're going to be married for 40 or 50 years. Hopefully it should be about more than looks. Mm-hmm. You're like, yeah, he gets it. <laughs> he yeah. gets it. Yeah, that makes sense. He, yeah. he plays along with these guys, but he's got a deeper, bigger emotional life. Um, so, yeah. Did you notice any other toxic masculinity moments that I didn't touch on? There were so many. Just the constant oh. calling of the girls dogs. They yeah. call a lot of girls dogs. Um, it's just so woven into the fabric of culture it's very prevalent they definitely use it to really show marty's better than these guys and don't you feel bad for clara it's very interesting to also see how it plays on marty himself because marty himself has you know you can see him struggling with uh his identity as a man when was this movie made? The 50s, 1955, 55, right? Yeah. Because you see him in his best moments being vulnerable and supportive and all this stuff. And you do see him in some bad moments. Yeah. And yeah. you see him like laughing along with stories that the guys are telling. And you see him uh, kind of get angry in parts and things yeah. like that. I always appreciate seeing a character that is not perfect because you yeah. go like Marty if he was just a saint and there was no struggle within him, it doesn't mean as much to see him rise above that struggle and 
have his best instincts win out because even in the end he is you know going to listen to his mother and his friends who are going like she's a dog you don't want to be seen with a dog it'll ruin your reputation yeah she's not italian all this kind of stuff (laughs) she went to college it's the worst they're one step (laughs) from the streets uh which i do not know what that means I'm sure it is a phrase that meant something in the 50s that does not 100% still mean something. I took from it was that if you are, if you go to college, you become a secretary. And if you become a secretary, you have to sleep with your boss. That's what I was taking from it. And not all secretaries slept with their bosses, but I think that was the insinuation that they were trying to make that they that they were they were yeah. women of loose morals those college women yes one yes. step from the streets oh god like what marty is doing essentially is to combat loneliness he's so worried about not fitting in because if yeah. he doesn't fit in then he'll be alone and then it's almost like he's realizing what it takes to fit in going along with these toxic things but you're right i'm so glad you brought up his temper and i really would like to talk about the kissing scene with clara because what i realized this viewing was the impetus before that was when he talked to those friends who were having those girls in the car and he was influenced yes. by them of like, oh, that's what you're supposed to do. Oh, they're going to take those girls back to get drunk and like do whatever. I don't know with them. Maybe that's what yeah. I'm supposed to do too. Maybe I'm supposed to take this girl home and like, I don't know. Yeah. You can tell he's never had a date go this well. He does not want the night to end. It's like they're up so late. You know, me uh, as a 35 year old, I go... <laughs> I'd be in bed by now, but um, <laughs> but you can tell that he's like, he does not want this night to end. Yeah. And he's going like, I need to push this night as far as I possibly can, because this is a magic night that will never happen again. You know, you can see that, that kind of struggle within him. And you, yes, yeah. you see him talking to these friends that are like, come and get with these nurses with us. So you've seen him going like what do i do on this night how do i keep this night going sarah's talking about this moment where he tries to kiss her yes so you say what you want to say oh it's so painful so okay and i was not trying to defend his actions earlier because i don't love this moment and in fact i remember when i first saw this movie this moment and then when he yells at his mom those were the two parts i was like cringing i don't feel good about this but okay so there's this moment where he's kind of like talked her to coming to his house because he's like, look, I want to keep going out with you. I only have three bucks on me. I'm going to go home. I'll get 10. I live like six blocks away. We'll go back out. It'll be great. And she's like, okay, you know, I'm having a good time too. Why not? Um, So they go by his house and he's like, hey, get comfortable. Take off your coat. (laughs) And she's like, I don't know. It's like one in the morning. Like maybe I should go home. And she goes to reach out her hand to like touch his, but he doesn't see this action. She was going to try to give him like comfort for a second to be like, I'm not telling you I don't want to see you. I'm telling you that it's one in the morning and I want to go home. He doesn't see it. So he gets up and he gets her jacket. And as he's putting her in her jacket, he kind of like turns her and he tries to force her to kiss him. And she goes, yes. no, no, no. She keeps saying no, but he still keeps trying it. And then he kind of explodes and is like, Mrah! like, I just wanted a kiss. Did you think I was going to try anything in my, when my mother could walk in any minute? Also, they explain that his mother's in a movie and that's why she's not going to be home. Cause I was like, the mother would 100% be there. Why is the mother not there? Whatever. Yeah. So yeah. Um, it, it's a very uncomfortable moment where you're like, oh, shoot. He was just trying to force her to kiss him. And then he's like yelling at her and exploding on her. That's not great. And then she goes, look, like, it's not that I don't want to kiss you. I just don't know how to handle the situation. 
I'm new at this too. So they end up having a very sweet kiss. It's just like even better than the kiss is the moment. It's like they have a very small like kind of peck, but then they hug, they hold each other. And to me, that's the beautiful touching moment. But yeah, it's it's very uncomfortable. What I feel uncomfortable watching that scene. How do you feel? I think anybody <laughs> feels uncomfortable watching watching yeah. that. Just side note, there are moments when you don't know how things are going to go and you're like, oh, fuck, did he just blow it? I'm gut-wrenched if this is it for us. The movie takes you on the ride. Is this going to work out? Both these people seem ill-equipped for a relationship to begin with. They, they both seem pretty set in their ways, but you can sense that they're both unhappy, but they're used to a certain thing. This could fall apart at any moment yes. is how it feels. There's a moment earlier where he yells at his mother and and he like gets way too scary sounding. Uh, so you can tell that he has like an anger inside of him because yeah. he's like a bit angry at the world. He's like been rejected and crapped on so much that you go like he resents the world. I don't get to have what other people have. It's not fair. It's not fair. So you see him angry at his mother earlier you can tell he immediately feels bad about it and he like pats her hand and stuff like that and then he like tries to pretend like it didn't happen he like doesn't really apologize because he doesn't know how because again he's you know a guy in the 50s society was not telling him to be sensitive you can see his regret you can see him be immediately feel bad for what he does but he has that edge to him to where you go like he could blow this and it would be completely justified if clara did get up and leave for the story it's incredibly important to know that He's not a perfect person and he could ruin the situation and she would be right to leave. Toxic masculinity, you see Marty deal with it. You see him in the situation where he's going like, here's this woman, here's my chance. Why would she have come back to my house if she didn't want to kiss me? When he grabs her, he goes like, I like you. I've been telling you all night that I like you. Yeah. And then he tries to kiss her. You know, you can see her struggling as well. She doesn't yeah. know how to handle this situation. She has. She doesn't know how to kiss somebody. Yeah. She feels weird. It's also each of them are like, what if this never happens again? What if it yeah. never leads to anything? You see Marty have the thought of this may never happen again. So I got to go for it now. And then you see Clara having the thought of this may never happen again, so I can't let it go anywhere. And she's like, it would hurt me if this happened. And then he never called me again. You see this moment that is heart wrenching. It is awkward, but I think it's supposed to be awkward. Yes, You're supposed to go like, Marty, what are you doing? This is why you want to see things like this in a movie so that you, the audience, go like, I feel icky watching this. Mm-hmm. And then you can say, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't do anything like that. I do want to just add this to this yeah. moment. I like that people always face the camera in this. It feels very much like a stage kind of thing where yeah. like a lot of the interactions don't necessarily happen with people facing each other, but facing forward. So the way that they can put focus on Betsy Blair's character, Clara, is when Marty is sitting there with his eyes closed and he's feeling this rejection and pain, we can see what she's going through. 
and how she's yeah. processing things and what she's going to do about it. And yeah. she comes up to him and says, I didn't say no because I don't like you. I like you very much. And she has to really tell him how much she likes him for yeah. him to kind of like let go of God, I blew it. I was just rejected. This is the worst. <laughs> but he does the Marty with his eyes closed. I'm feeling so much rejection and pain move, which he does throughout yeah. the film. And I love it. It's such a good way of communicating to us. And again, you just miss older movies because you go like, in terms of acting, these actors are allowed to play out whole scenes yeah. in one shot and one setup. And you can watch the entire moment yeah. and they play out the whole scene. And I feel like nowadays in movies, you never get to see two actors just yeah. play a scene out. But if it was nowadays, you'd see a shot reverse shot throughout this whole thing. First of all, it makes their actual kiss sweeter. You yes. see the consent. <laughs> um, but also what I think is interesting is my friend Sarah pointed this out to me. She's on the show a bunch, Sarah Rice. She was like a lot of times in movies when they have a movie kiss, you get over the shoulder from the man's point of view. So you see the woman, like you see the woman's face. This time we see Marty's face. It's over her shoulder. So like that's what makes it different from a lot of other films. It's not yeah. about like the sexiness. It's like this real moment. It is the teeniest little kiss. Yeah. It's not about the kiss. You no. can tell that both of these characters are not kissers, you know, like yeah. they clearly haven't kissed a lot. The two mouths touched and it was about, we just opened ourselves up enough to let our two mouths touch each other. And then you see this moment on Marty's face where he yes. goes like, oh my God, I just did that he has this wave of like relief and gratitude wash over him and he appreciates the symbolism of what just happened and the yeah. symbol of what a kiss is. Marty and Clara have more of a relationship that is about uplifting each other and yeah. being companions uh, yes. rather than like you're a hottie patati. I think theirs is more real and better than a lot of relationships that we see potentially in this film. You know, oh, like all yeah, the men definitely. that are being gross about the women, like they're not going to have meaningful, deep relationships. Like, uh, yeah, this well, is they're gonna all be... gross monsters. <laughs> That's also true. You make a great point. I also noticed this time around, I was just thinking about it when you were talking about the hug. I hadn't put this together before, but the first time he meets her, they hug before anything else happens. Their yeah. first interaction of the night is an embrace because she's crying. You know, he goes out to her and says, do you want to dance? And she just kind of like turns around and sobs into his arm. And he's kind of yeah. like, I don't know how to handle this. So then when they have that real hug, it's a totally different moment. But it's I never put that bookend on it before of like the two hugs and what they mean. And yeah. then I also noticed this time. I mean, this is taking it away from the gross man topic, but the first time he makes a phone call in the movie, he's calling his mom from that phone booth in the bar. And then yeah. the last shot of the movie is him calling Clara from that phone booth in the bar. And I was like, we've made a full journey. You're not that calling your cool. mom, you're calling your lady. So the major players of this film are Patty Shayevsky, who is the writer and who produced it. And uh, Ernest Borgnine, who played Barty, and Betsy Blair, who played Clara. Those are kind of our three big people to know. The history of Marty, essentially. Patty Shayevsky, he's a super famous writer. Marty is his first, like, big hit. And then um, The Hospital is another big hit of his. And then his most famous work is Network. He wrote Network. And that's kind of his last big, like, hurrah. But he won three solo Academy Awards for screenwriting which are the movies I just named. But he started off in the world of like 
teleplays <laughs> and like radio. And so he would write these excellent teleplays. And that's what Marty was. The This film that we know today, Marty, was originally written as a teleplay for television. And Rod Steiger, who becomes very famous and wins an Academy Award, played Marty in it. And um, when they were producing this film, uh, Burt Lancaster and uh, Harold Hecht were producing it. They chose this film um, because they needed a tax write-off. They didn't really care about it. So they were like, eh, take this teleplay. We'll like beef it up a little bit. Rod Steiger doesn't want to be in it. We'll get somebody else. Uh, Burt Lancaster, oh, you worked with Ernest Borgnine in uh, From Here to Eternity. Fine, he'll be it. <laughs> so like, they don't really care about it. Um, they're not invested in it. And then it ends up being a huge hit and kind of jumpstarts Patty Shayefsky's career. Oh. He writes plays, he won the Tony. But some of his other famous movies are um, Paint Your Wagon. Did you ever see the, that musical? Yeah, he wrote that. He wrote The Catered Affair, The Americanization of Emily. He kind of has a slump and then writes The Hospital, which puts him back on the map. And then eventually he does Network, which is what he's famous for. He was really smart. He was really good friends with Bob Fosse and Gwen Verdon. The way he got his name, his real name is Sidney Aaron Shayevsky, but he got his name Patty Shayevsky because uh, he was drafted into the army for World War II. And, oh, I want to mention this. Um, when he was in the army, he was injured. He ended up getting a Purple Heart because he was, like, harmed in a landmine or something like that. Like, wow. a landmine exploded and he survived, but he was badly scarred and felt really ugly and didn't know how to present himself around women. So I'm like, oh, Marty. But the way he got his name was, I guess, one morning he was supposed to be on kitchen duty at dawn and they came to get him and he said, oh, I can't work kitchen duty. I have to go to mass, which was funny because he was Jewish and like very much Jewish. And mm -hmm. so the person that was like talking to him was like, yeah, all right, Patty. Sure. Like, sure. You got to go to mass, like making him sound Irish. And it just yeah. stuck. And that became his nickname forever. Wow. That's very interesting because I was like, they talk about being Catholic a lot in this yeah. movie and talk about going to mass a lot. Um, wow. but he grew up in the Bronx. He was a Russian Jewish immigrant. Or his parents were Russian. So he's like first generation American. Oh, but what I was going to say about Patty Shayefsky that I forgot was he's famous for uh, like really naturalistic dialogue. That's what we see yeah. a lot of in this film. Naturalistic oh. moments and dialogue, especially overlapping dialogue. The movie had a lot of talking over each yep. other. It felt very real and very natural. Um, yeah. And that's like a hallmark of Patty Shayefsky. And then um, later on, his hallmarks are like satire, but he's not there yet. <laughs> We're still in the mm -hmm. sweet part. Um, but it's a lot of character actor focus, simplicity, naturalistic dialogue, overlapping dialogue. It feels like a play. I would say those are kind of like the hallmarks of this film. I remember in the beginning too, they teach you how they're going to overlap dialogue. So when they do it later, you're used to it by then. But it's yeah. like one person will say something, Marty will have a mini conversation in the middle with someone else. And then the person on the other side will finish out the original conversation. So they train you to listen that way. So when it happens throughout the film, your ear is used to it because it's happened before. I also wanted to mention that this film won four Academy Awards. It won best wow. motion picture. It won Best Director. Something it was directed man, right? by Delbert Mann. This is his yeah. biggest hit. His other kind of big hit is Separate Tables. He does a bunch of other movies, but those are like the big ones. Best Actor went to Ernest Borgnine, who beat James Dean, who was nominated this year. And yeah. James Dean had died. So that was like a pretty big Yikes. win. And then it won for Best Screenplay. Patty Shaevsky won. Betsy Blair did not win Best Supporting Actress, but she was nominated. Ernest Borgnine, let's get into him because he's a super interesting person. He was 38 when he made this. So he was not like Marty in that he was married five times. 
Wow. He was married five times. One time, guess who he was married to? You'll never who? guess. Who? I am Ethel no Merman. He was married Ethel to Merman. Ethel Merman for 42 days. Apparently, they fought the whole time. Apparently, in her autobiography, there's a chapter called Ernest Borgnine. And when you turn the page, it's a blank page. And then you turn it again, and the book continues. <laughs> I once heard, I don't remember where I heard this from, but I feel like it was a Broadway station. I once heard that he would fart in bed and pull the covers over their head and trap them in. And she hated that. Wow. So please picture that just at home. Please picture that. I I can picture it. (laughs) He was also married to this woman, Katie Harada. I literally wrote, wait a minute, what? He's married to Katie Harado? She's so cool. How did they get married? Um, not that he's not cool. I don't really, you know, I don't know him. But she was like the badass lady in High Noon. And she's wow. just, she's like this awesome Mexican-American actress who's phenomenal. So I'm like, I don't know how you did that, but way to go. And then his final marriage lasts a long time. It's this woman, uh, Tova Tresnas, but they were married for a long time. He's interesting because he kind of fell into acting. He was in the Navy for a very long time, like right out of high school, 1935, joins the Navy. He serves till 1941. Pearl Harbor happens. So he rejoins and he's back in the Navy from 1942 to 1945. So he's in the Navy for like 10 years. Um, He won military awards. He's the son of Italian immigrants born in Connecticut. So when he gets back, from the war. He doesn't really know what he wants to do. And his mom makes a joke about him becoming an actor. And he goes, wait a minute. No, hold on. That's a great idea, actually. (laughs) So he takes acting classes. He becomes a member of a theater company in Virginia. And then eventually he makes his Broadway debut, 1949, in Harvey, which if you people at home know, that's with Jimmy Stewart and the Rabbit. That was a play. So he ends up doing like television, then a little bit of movies. And then in 1953, he's in From Here to Eternity, which is a fantastic movie. Check it out. Um, But he plays the bad guy in that. I won't watch it because you told me that. He's also in, he's in Johnny Guitar, The Dirty Dozen, The Poseidon Adventure, Convoy, Escape from New York, The Wild Bunch. And then he's probably very most famous for being on the TV show, McHale's Navy, a World War II sitcom from the 60s. He also might be famous to people from today for being in SpongeBob as Mermaid Man. There you go. I don't even know what that means. What I will say about Ernest Borgnine's performance in this that I also really love, all the variations and levels he gives us, when he gets excited, your heart is with him. He's like a little kid. Like, really, we get to see every color of him in this, every from the rejection, the sadness, the quiet, the anger, the joy. We see all of it from him. And I I love it when the joyfulness comes out, especially when he's with Clara, that moment when he like, I don't know if he hits the bus stop or high fives the bus stop, whatever that is, the joy that explodes out of him. And I also do want to mention we had mentioned earlier with Betsy Blair, like the costumer and makeup people made her like, quote unquote, not attractive, even though she obviously is. For Marty, I feel like what they did for him was they put him in pants that were a little bit too small. And I know that the fashion was to have short ties then, but they gave him a specific short tie that went right to where his belly, it like accentuated his belly. Like they did his best to make him look bigger and put him in these like giant suits. So I feel like they were costuming him bigger because in um, From Here to Eternity, he appears menacing. And that's like, 
two years before this. So it's like the way that he looks so different from that, you get a sense that they've really done well with this character, not just in his performance, but also with like costuming and all of that. I want to mention this too. One famous thing about this movie is the scene in the phone booth, right? The last scene when he's calling Clara. So what the marketing department ended up doing for this film was they made this cartoon of like a larger man putting money into a phone booth. And that was like what they did for every single Marty campaign. And the image became incredibly popular at the time. And so it got to the point where you could just see that image and know exactly what it was for and not even need to see the name Marty. It's like a Marty trademark image. Um, So I wanted to mention that. But Betsy Blair is our final kind of person to dive into. Betsy Blair is so cool. (laughs) So she was married to Gene Kelly. That's how she got this part. He went to bat for her. What a thing, though, for Gene Kelly to go to them and say, you're casting an ugly woman, my wife. You know, what a thing to say. He's, well, he's wonder, very secure I, I, in himself. Like, you know, like, what do you do if the if you're her? You go, thanks, honey. Well, she asked him to do it because she wanted this part. Oh, OK. Thanks. Like, what are you trying to tell me? I thought you'd be divorced. perfect for this role. She wanted to be like an actress as a kid, but she did like a lot of amateur kind of stuff. And she did like dancing and acting and modeling. She graduated high school at 15 because she was super freaking smart. She got into Sarah Lawrence with like a scholarship. I guess they ended up not taking her that year because they were like, she's a little too immature. We need her to wait a year. And she was like, well, screw college. I'm going to go be a chorus girl. So she is a dancer. um, And that's how Gene Kelly meets her. She's in some chorus show. And Gene Kelly was the choreographer. And they Mm -hmm. met when she was 16. (laughs) Yikes. Um, He's not like that much older than her. Life expectancy was much lower. You're right. Great point. One foot in the grave back then, you know? So they met and Gene Kelly was very much like, kid, you're a great dancer and I believe in you. And she was like, thanks, Gene Kelly. And then a year later when she was 17, they got married. But they were married for like 16 years. I don't know why they got divorced. I didn't read that. But she ended up being blacklisted because she was super into like, Uh, Marxism and communism. Gene Kelly never was. And so he kind of like pulled her out of it a little bit, but she was like into that stuff. And uh, so HUAC, the House of Un-American Activities Committee, Mm -hmm. ruined her career. They were like, oh, you went to communist meetings? Well, and I think that's where it gets confusing because there's disagreements about like if she really was a communist or not, but she was like communist leaning. And uh, so they were like, you can't do anything or work anymore. And she was like, well, that sucks. So her career was, she'd been in a couple movies and then her career was kind of like over. And then um, this movie came along and she was like, I got to play this role. They were going to give it to this other woman um, who had done the TV version of it. And I think her name was Nancy Marchand. And Betsy Blair was like, this is my part. This is the part I was born to play. This is mine. Gene Kelly husband that I love. (laughs) Yeah. Please get me this part. So he like went to bat for her and was like, please cast my wife in this. And I guess Patty Shayefsky wanted her too. I heard a part of it where he like refused to do It's Always Fair Weather if she didn't get this. But I hate implying that about her because her performance is so excellent that I don't want to like put on her any sort of like, like she might've gotten this because her husband fought for her to get it, but she's so good in it. Like she brings it. After she ends up divorcing Gene Kelly, Um, She does theater, film, and television, mainly in Europe. She goes to Europe, like, right after they get divorced, and she marries a European film director Mm -hmm. and, like, pretty much acts over there. 
and lives the rest of her life. And it seems pretty good. And uh, yeah. she had a daughter with Jean Kelly, Carrie Kelly Novick, um, mm-hmm. who I've heard speak because she lives in Ann Arbor. There was a 50 year anniversary screening of Singing in the Rain and she came down and spoke for it at the Michigan Theater. Wow. I got to see her. Wow. I was 15 years old. Carl Reich is who she married in 1963. That was the person okay. she married. Her little haircut, she looked so like cool hipster. You go like, man, people nowadays, it's like, put a little put a little tattoo on her arm and she'd be the coolest kid on right the block. Because yeah, she looks different from the women in the movie back then. But like to us, she looks very contemporary. They pushed her bangs away in the final scene when she was crying. It was when she looked like the most herself and very gorgeous. They were like, just fix the bangs for this scene. She doesn't have to have those bangs there. I like the bangs. I thought they were fine. I think that she looks better without them, but she still looks, I think she's beautiful. And I think you see like the inner beauty as well. Like watching the two of them light up around each other was the whole freaking joy of the movie. And also neither of them is particularly terrible looking. Like even Ernest Borgnine, he's very interesting looking, but he looks like a normal person, (laughs) you know? Remember when Marty goes like, I'm ugly, ma, I'm ugly. And this mom's like, you're not ugly. Yeah, parents like to say, you're the most attractive person on the planet. And then at one point you find out that they were lying to you. Wait, they no, they weren't. They were lying to me? No, no, not to you. Not to oh you. Oh my God, Nick. For everyone else, they were lying. <sighs> you know, I should have clarified that going into the statement. You Thanks. Know? Thanks, You Nick, as in that. everyone but you. But you as you. in me. <sighs> The modern lens, um, I mean, there are no people of color in this film. It's all a bunch of like cis straight white people. They go into a nightclub that's just a giant sea of white people. And, you know, that's that's it. Um, We had mentioned, I think, a lot of the moments of like how women are not really allowed to do anything except for wanting to be mothers and wives, which is fine if that's what you want. But like there's other futures for you. And then the toxic masculinity we talked about. And then um, the ang- like Marty's kind of anger explosions and the moment of the kiss. It's a movie from the 50s. So <laughs> just keep that in mind and, and, you know, go into it and say, oh, I see. Things are different. And they talk about going to mass and stuff like that. And, yeah. How relieved um, are you when yeah. he asks her if she's Catholic and she says yes for them? I'm like, oh, you could both be Catholic together. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You go. Oh, good. And she's not Italian, though. You know the mother really doesn't care. So. I genuinely think the mother is going to be okay with it. Once she sees that Clara was not talking about her, I think she's going to warm to Clara because Clara's lovely. And if she doesn't, that's her own yeah, life that I, she's going to make sad. I personally think that the mom will be okay. Yeah. And that, you know, there's that moment when she's talking to her sister and she says, one day you're going to smile and we'll have a big celebration. And, you know, the last time you see them, they are like sitting on the porch together, the mom and her sister. The mom seems to be a bit wiser and kinder than her sister is. She's having her own crisis, but based on who she was in that opening scene, we know she's going to love and support you know, Marty and be okay. There is the whole thing of like, where are they going to live? You know, doesn't she have to go somewhere to accept this position that she's doing? The implication that I got from this was that she did not actually want to take this job. Taking this job would signify that she is going to be a spinster. 
That's what I was getting from oh, this. Because okay. this job is like okay. a bigger responsibility. You would not be able to have a family. You'd be driving far away. And she doesn't want to drive. It's a long commute. So for me, it was taking this job as saying, yes, I'm going to be alone. And she says, like, I want to work with the class. I don't really want to do it, but it's... Right, right, yeah. It would make more money. I can support myself. Thing. Yeah. So for Marty, it's a good thing that he's going to, like, buy this butcher shop and build it up. But for her, you get the sense she doesn't really want this, but it's what she will have to do if she's going to be alone. She's going to need yeah. to support herself. So this um, is the future that I made up for them. His mom and the sister get to keep that house, and Marty and um, Clara fall in love and get married and move out together into a cute little apartment. Mm-hmm. And when they do have kids, so she's a teacher, and she gets to keep her job if she wants. She gets to keep it because she loves teaching. And he gets to work at his butcher shop, and you know who takes care of their kids? The mom and the aunt. The mom and the aunt. There you Teresa go. Teresa and Catherine. So I solved their problems, but once again... No one has asked me. They should have waited a few years until you were born and then asked you. <laughs> the Just, next. you know, ha- half, a, half a century, you know. But yeah, that's what they could, could have happened. And I think this movie really enforces like finding people in community. Like because we as the audience can see ways out of their loneliness that they can't see. So it yeah. almost puts it in perspective of like what would their lives be like if they could see their pockets of loneliness and at the same time, we as viewers who might be lonely, now I'm like, oh, what could I potentially do if I ever feel that way? The line he has about the dogs where he says to her, like, you're not such a dog as you think you are. And we're like, oh, God, he's calling her a dog. This is going to go badly. But then he adds it to the us. He's like, dogs like yeah. us, we're not such dogs as we think we are. So it's yeah. like, OK. That's in the stage of the movie where you go, this guy is not very eloquent, <laughs> is he? He's is so bumbling through it. And then he does the thing where they're walking outside and he won't shut up. And he's like, look at me. I can't stop talking. You should talk. And then he keeps talking. And uh, it's cute. At least he has an awareness of it. That's when he wins you over, too, because you're like, oh, no, is he just going to be rude and awful and talk the whole time? You know, but then he has awareness. He goes, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I'm not normally like this. But I think yeah. that's so endearing. And that's what endears her. I love it because we watch her at first be like bored and be like, we're on her side. We're like, oh, no, he's blowing it. But then he does something where he calls out what he just did. Oh, my God, I have awareness of I'm talking so much and I have awareness of your position. Let me move you and do the chivalrous thing because there's that like 1950s rule, I guess, where men have to walk by the street. I still don't understand that. It's so that if like a car (laughs) splashes something, it hits the fella. Oh, is that why? I thought it was if a car goes off the road, it will. And it'll it'll kill the guy first. (laughs) Give the woman a a split second to get away. We watch him do that. And that's for her. That's her moment of like, oh, he's a good guy. Um, The quote that I keep talking about that I loved was when Marty says, uh, two people get married. They're going to live together 40, 50 years. So it's got to be more about whether they are just good looking or not. Um, I used to adore my old man because he was always so kind. But just the fact that he values kindness and puts that into his conversation and values the way that his father treated his mother and tried to understand her as opposed to like whatever else he could have said in the 50s. Um, Yeah, because he's talking about how his dad is ugly. He's like, my dad was ugly. My mom was pretty and he was always so kind. You've also seen Marty do a lot of kind things. Like he's he's very gracious when the mother comes in and goes like, can my sister come and live here? And he goes like, that's okay with me, ma. You've seen him be nice. You've seen him be frustrated. 
I, well, I like you see that. him be patient with the customers too, because each woman, you know, every single woman that comes in that day, he's going to have the same conversation. Yes, my younger kid brother just got married. Yes, I know I'm single. And he's polite to each and every one of them. He'll turn his back and give us some side eye and some eye rolling. But the people yeah. don't know that he feels this way. So you're right. Yeah. We see another. That's another part of it, too. People really took him for granted and take advantage of him. But he is a kind person. I did write down the quote that his his mom says to the aunt. The aunt's talking about like, and this person died and this person died. And the mom goes, "Ah, you always got such cheerful news. Yes. With the mom and her sister, I thought it was very interesting how um, the sister at one point says it's a curse to be a widow because she's like, you know, my husband died and I'm alone and all this stuff. Then later when the mom says it, she says it's a curse to be a mother. It's just you see how she has taken the sentiment of the it's a curse and applied it to now her situation mm-hmm. of, of going like, uh-oh, I'm now afraid of losing my son. Even when she's doing the awful things, we still love her because we yes. see the kind of person that she is. And we see it not only in her scene with Marty, but the, a really cool scene in this piece is when... Um, the cousins that want the aunt to move out, they ask her to go, Teresa, to go speak to Catherine um, to like be the one to break the news. And they're telling her how to break it. Like, oh, you know, tell her you're lonely and that she'll fit right in and all these other things. And I love that the second they leave, she sits down and she's like, this is the truth. Teresa tells Catherine the truth about the situation. She doesn't sugarcoat it. She's like, they're married, they're young. You can't live here anymore. (laughs) But that to me, like I'm totally won over by that. I completely love her because of that moment. And it does create how she can say those awful things that she says later about Clara without knowing her, about how she's one step off the street. She's not Italian. She's ugly. Is she 50? Like, that seemed to be a big thing. Women lie about their age. She's probably lying to you. She's, She's old. She's 35. She's 40. And then Angie's the one that goes, she was 50. They put all that foundation in so we see her as a fully fleshed out human, but also so we love her. I just think that's so cool. And I really do love that conversation that she has where she's like, don't make it a tragedy, sis. Like, come live in my house. You'll be happier. I really like the moment where she was like brushing her hair. I was shocked when she was like, I'm 56. And I was like, wow, that is not old. That is not an old thing. Well, and it's the way they dress them too. But after she said that, I did start to notice that she was way younger than I assumed. And then I love that scene that you're talking about too, especially because that's the first time that Marty has any sort of confidence in himself when dealing with other people. Because he's like, I want to ask Tommy about this idea, but I got ideas of my own. Did you know, like, I'm going to open this butcher shop. I think I'm going to do it. I'm a good butcher. That also brings me back to the part when he's with um, Clara and she's like, I can tell that you're a good butcher. And he's like, well, being a butcher, like that's so embarrassing. And she's like, no, it's not. Being a butcher is a great job. Like, what do you know? It's fine. And he's like, I'm the lowest on the social standing. And she's like, no, you're not. He says, people look down on butchers. And she says, I don't. I don't know if his shop is going to work out. You go like, I know that grocery stores eventually come in and destroy butchers and things like that. But what was interesting is you go like, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it works out or not, because... What matters is that Clara believes in him. And that's very nice. Well, and it might work out too. Like his cousin was just in a shitty mood and they explain why his cousin was in a shitty mood. And you're kind of like, Marty, clearly this is not the best time to talk to him. He's literally in the middle of a fight. You could wait, just call him later maybe. I don't know. That's a great scene, how he seizes (laughs) cousin fighting with his wife. 
and he still interrupts the fight to go like, so about this butcher shop and- uh, His questions are valid too, because I want to know the answers now. I'm like, wait, what do you do about the markups? Tell me, I want to hear the answer to that. What do you do? But Uh he does mention the reason his supermarket might succeed is because those other supermarkets, they don't have the specialties. They don't have Italian meat. They don't have the Italian meat. But you're right. Even if it doesn't, he still has Clara. Yeah. She's smart. He's smart. They'll be okay. They'll, be fine. They'll figure it out. The supporting cast, I do want to give them props. So the woman that plays Teresa, his mother, is Esther Minciati. And Aunt Catherine is Augusta Scioli. And they were both in that original um, teleplay. And then the guy that played Angie is Joe Montiel. And then Karen Steele is Ginny and Jerry Paris is Tommy. And um, Ginny and Tommy are great. They're both very good looking. They also met at the Stardust Ballroom. They get a nice little sweet end where they're fighting and everything. And then because he's angry because he's because he wants to get rid of his mom in the beginning. But then he goes like, you're making me get rid of my mother. You know, they're going to be okay because they link arms together to go. Just they kind of have a little moment. All in all, this movie is so sweet. It's an emotional roller coaster, as we had mentioned, because you're always terrified for his emotions and that he's going to blow it. But then it all. Except if you've listened to this podcast, you totally ruined the whole thing. Sarah didn't mean to spoil it for me, but Sarah told me that it was going to have a happy ending. And oh, I like, did, I it's guess. sweet, trust me. And then she used an emoji oh of a telephone. <laughs> so you just totally told Wait, me the end of the movie. Did you so, understand what that meant, though? I was like, he's not going to understand what it well, means, but I wanted to whole, alleviate your stress. The, well, it was, it's the end of the movie is, is he going to call her or not? And do you put a phone on there? So I was like, I said, well, wait okay. for it. Does he call you her said, or not? You said, wait for it. It's, <laughs> it's a sweet movie. Just wait for it, phone. <laughs> so I ruined it. I really ruined it. Well, you didn't ruin it. You can't really ruin the movie because oh, it's not so- about it's not about that. It's about watching them together. It's, you know, the charm of it and everything. Watching them together and about like even you taking on that positive aspect of like, hey, notice in your life, cling to the more positive sides and not the negative side. And I'm going to keep with what you said. It's a great film. It's a great, it's a great film. It really is. Now for the double feature portion of this program, the things that I would pair this with, there's this movie called Dogfight. TCM has actually been playing it a lot lately. But the way I heard about this movie was because of our old friends, Pasek and Paul, they wrote a musical about it in like 2012. I loved their musical version of it. So I finally watched the movie. It's such a similar film. And the mm-hmm. it's a female filmmaker who made it. And she said to get the vibe of the film, she watched Marty. Like she watched films like Marty and especially Marty. So it's kind of like a more modern version of Marty. Um, okay. I highly recommend it. It's on TCM all the time now. <laughs> so go there, watch it. There you go. Yeah, it's, it's like toxic masculinity versus not. Same with this. And it's about a guy... He's about to be shipped off for Vietnam as part of like a cruel game that the Marines play. You all have to bring the ugliest girl that you can find to a party called a dog fight. And whoever brings the ugliest girl wins. And um, he ends up falling for the girl that he brings. They kind of have this beautiful night together where they really understand each other on a deeper level. So it's very similar themes. Really good movie. Um, I would also say Crossing Delancey is a great double feature with this. I feel like the pickle man is a lot like this is a lot like Marty. <laughs> she has to decide what kind of life she wants. Does she want to end up with a guy that sells pickles or a really awful guy? Who will she pick? 
Did she pick the pickles? I don't, don't know. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. You'll ruin it. <laughs> but yeah, that one. Um, I was actually feeling Brooklyn, the movie Brooklyn, just because that's like 1950s yeah, immigrant yeah. story with an Italian family. She's not Italian, but she falls for an she's, Italian guy. But she's Irish, right? She's Irish. And then she falls in love with this Italian guy at a dance. Right. It just has similar feelings. And she's deciding her future. And then A Catered Affair is the movie Patty Shayefsky wrote after this. I enjoy A Catered Affair. It's got Ernest Borgnine. It's got Debbie Reynolds. It's got Betty Davis. And then um, Network, if you want to watch more Patty Shayefsky movies. Yeah, I said Rocky. I said it It was uh, kind of reminded me of it. Um, so you could watch Rocky with this. You know what? Just off the top of my head, Moonstruck. It's yeah. another like, when are you going to get married? Yeah, <laughs> movie yeah, yeah. like that. That's uh, That's the end of the show here. And we'll see you next time on Talk Classic to Me. You have been listening to Talk Classic to Me with Sarah Greenfield. That's me. My guest this week was Nick Lang. They will be featured on our Instagram page. If you enjoyed our show, please introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe. And maybe even find our page on anchor.fm and become a contributing member. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Talk Classic to Me for awesome content and to find out what's coming up next. Thanks for listening.